You're listening to the Save the Marriage Podcast. Your marriage can be saved and strengthened if you have the right information. Join Dr. Lee Bauckham as he explores ways for you to improve your relationship and your life, starting right now. Well, maybe it's because we have lots of songs with that idea of love. What's good love got to do with it might even be the thought of the day. But then there's that other song, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, about respect. So how do those pieces fit together and how do they develop in a relationship? And what happens when there's a sense of not being loved or feeling disrespected? Well, today I have the great honor of interviewing Emerson Egridge. His whole book was about that. His book is called Love and Respect. So it focuses on how the feelings of love and respect get twisted into our relationship to create what he calls the crazy cycle and what we can do to unwind that. So as we face these questions, let's think about that music, but more than that, let's think about how love and how respect play into our relationships. Listen in as I have a discussion with Emerson Egeridges. So sometimes you get an opportunity to talk with someone that you've, you've read their books um, and uh, really know that they have something to say and really respect, and they don't know a thing about you. And that's kind of my case today. I'm talking with Emerson as we talk about love and respect. And the reason I wanted to do that was because I've referenced his book with so many people. In fact, you've probably heard me reference that. Um, so I, I always think it's best to go to the source rather than me being the interpreter. So today, uh, Emerson is with me. And uh, so let's start with how you came to this realization about love and respect and, and where that came from in your professional life and how that has expanded into uh, where it has today. Well, I think on a personal basis, I've always been interested in, I think, male and female communication because my mom and dad uh, divorced when I was one. Uh, they remarried each other, for which I'm thankful, but then they separated for many years. Uh, when I was very young, I saw my dad attempt to strangle my mother. Uh, and that, I think, wounded me and it caused me, you know, obviously those emotional issues that anybody would have. Eventually, I was sent to a military school from age 13 to 18 to Missouri Military Academy. And uh, we were not a Christian family. We didn't know Christ. We didn't go to church, per se. And uh, it was when I was 16 that I went to a Billy Graham film called For Pete's Sake and heard the message that God loved me, that God was my father, and that Christ had died for me. And that uh, got my attention. And I found out that Billy Graham was had, uh, had gone to Wheaton. So I shifted. I was, I'd already met with a congressman to go to West Point. My, the president of the academy could make recommendations. And so I was thinking military, but my life really took a different uh, path. But my freshman year at Wheaton, my mom prayed to receive Christ as I had at Liberty Theater. My um, uh, dad prayed to receive Christ. My sister prayed to receive Christ. She's five years older than me. And my brother-in-law, who's a professor, prayed to receive Christ. My whole family came to Christ. So that is a backdrop. This idea of family dynamics, husband-wife relationship, I think there's just something in me that has always been compelled to try to figure out why my mom and dad, you know, were basically people of goodwill. But, you know, they'd have these moments where it'd get crazy. And uh, it just they... And I could tell as a little kid, the things they were arguing about weren't that really important. There seemed to be such an undercurrent of negative emotion. And it just seemed like they were sending messages to each other. I couldn't figure it out. But 
I think over the years, then I began to try to, you know, discern how do you have a healthy relationship? And I ended up going into the ministry, pastoral ministry. I had the privilege of uh, being in a college town, Michigan State University, East Lansing, uh, where I also got my PhD in family studies. And I preached, uh, you know, from the Bible, and I came across a verse in Ephesians 5.33 that really got my attention, Lee, and it was this. And it's the summary statement uh, to what most would consider the greatest treatise in the New Testament on marriage. And there, uh, the Lord reveals that a husband must love his wife, and a wife must respect her husband. And uh, there's no controversy about a husband loving, you know, his wife, but I realized that this second part of the verse, respecting a man, I mean, the, the general response was, well, Dr. Emerson, I don't feel in respect for him. You know, everybody knows that uh, respect must be earned. He hasn't earned it. He doesn't deserve it. He's not superior to me. That's the dictionary definition of respect. You show respect to your superiors. I'm not inferior to him. I'm not going to be treated like a doormat. I'm not going to give him license to do what he wants to do. I'm, I'm not going to feed his narcissism. You know, I really think you have a hidden agenda and return to male patriarchy, and I think you're trying to set the feminist movement back 50 years. I'm not going to subject myself to emotional abuse. But other than these things, Dr. Emerson, I'm really open to hearing what you have to say about this. And women are not mean-spirited. There really is an undercurrent of fear, and it's fear. It's not mean-spirited. And women want relationships to work, and that's why this message has really the, – the great fans of this message are females because it's kind of given them a power. But in the initial – uh, interpretation is kind of frightening. And when they see that Ephesians 5.33 passage about respecting your husband, uh, it's kind of like, well, I, uh, you know, I, what do you mean by that? So we can unpack that in our discussion. But as I was meditating on that Ephesians 5.33 passage, I realized uh, something about myself and Sarah. We've been married since 1973. That when Sarah feels unloved, she tends to react in a way that feels disrespectful to me. And when I feel disrespected, I tend to react in a way that feels unloving to her. And uh, it gave birth to what I call the crazy cycle. Without love, she reacts without respect. Without respect, he reacts without love. And this baby starts to spin. And I make a very important point. Sarah needs R-E-S-P-E-C-T. And I need L-O-V-E. Uh, love and respect, we all need it. But in our research, there apparently is a, a felt need that's different during conflict. For instance, I've asked 7,000 people this questionally. When you're in a conflict with your spouse, do you feel unloved at that moment or disrespected? 83% of the men say they feel disrespected. They don't feel unloved. Now, there are 17% that do, but even there, that can be teased out. Sometimes that guy's very insecure and there's some issues going on there because women love to love. Unless she said, I don't love you, it's kind of an affront to her character, her nurturing nature to be told that she's not a loving, loving person. But 72% of the women say they feel unloved. Uh, with R-E-S-P-E-C-T, they still land significantly on the love category. And even when she says, I need his respect, if he keeps showing me disrespect, I eventually say, how can you say you love me and treat me disrespectfully? And I also make the point that there is no card from a husband on their 10th anniversary and the husband saying to the wife, baby, I really respect you on our 10th anniversary. And there's, there's no movie that ends with the hero embracing the damsel, saying, I want to respect you the rest of my life. It is all about L-O-V-E. And I always say, follow the money. Don't just be politically correct. Follow the money, and you'll discern, discern where the true values lie. And it's not to say that women don't need respect, and it's not to say that men don't need love. Uh, but we are 
finding, generally speaking, couples get on the crazy cycle, the way that that's going down. And so one of the things I just say to people, if the shoe fits, you know, please consider wearing it. If not, I'm not, I'm not going to try to force the shoe on. But do you get on the crazy cycle when the issue isn't the issue and you see the spirit of your spouse deflate without love? <clears throat> she reacts without respect. Without respect, he reacts without love. And this baby starts to spin and it just keeps spinning, 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 spinning. Lee, does that make sense? Oh, it makes sense. And, and what I wanted to highlight was one word you used a couple of times there was feel. You know, they don't feel respected. They don't feel loved as opposed to the person's meaning to disrespect or the person's meaning to I don't know that unlove or not love them, um, mm -hmm. that it's the feeling that comes from that. So let's, um, if we could just kind of put some definition, you talk about um, kind of a uh, unconditional respect that is a, a, a counter to, or not a counter to, but a balance point of unconditional love. Can you talk a little bit about what that looks right. like and what it means? Right. Well, intuitively people know what unconditional love is, but they don't really uh, define it. Unconditional uh, love and unconditional respect, which is, is an oxymoron to people, people un will endorse unconditional love. Love that's not unconditional isn't love. But when you talk about unconditional respect, they, they stiffen because of the cultural idea that respect must be earned and deserved. So what does unconditional mean? Well, unconditional love doesn't mean, you know, to show you that I unconditionally love you, just continue to commit adultery. Because I just, you know, I, I love you without any conditions. No, no, no. Unconditional love means there's nothing you can do that's going to get me to hate you. There's no condition, no situation or circumstance that's going to get me to be an unloving person. But that doesn't mean that you're lovable. It doesn't mean that what you do is lovable. It doesn't. But what it means is I'm going to lovingly confront those things that are not lovable, that are not right. I'm not going to become an unloving, hostile, hateful person because you fail to be the person that I want you to be. That's what unconditional means. We unconditionally love our son, who's a teenager rebellion. You don't love what he's doing, not one iota, but you in your spirit have this loving demeanor. Uh, the psychologists call it an, an unconditional positive regard toward the spirit of the other person. And what happens is we misrepresent ourselves during conflict. We, we begin to appear hostile. We begin to appear contemptuous. And that's where the real problem lies because we misrepresent ourselves and then of course we're going to be misinterpreted but on the other side unconditional respect means there's no condition no situation or circumstance that can get me to show you contempt and and the reason that's important is that no one responds to hostility or contempt see we have this idea that if i think you haven't earned respect if you don't deserve respect i always ask the question well what's what what then is your alternative to show them contempt and disdain and disgust, that'll never prove effective. So the challenge for us is how do we lovingly, respectfully, with this positive regard toward the spirit of the other person, say, I'm spitting mad at what you've done. I'm about to blow the gasket off my head, but I believe in you more than you believe in yourself. I, I love who you are deep in your soul more than I think you love yourself. I admire and believe in the man that's honorable within you. But what I, I, for the life of me, I can't figure out how you did what you've done. And I, I, I don't know if I can go on. I don't know. See, it's, it's wording ourselves that way and main, maintaining that kind of posture. And if a person says, well, that's just unrealistic, then you will destroy the relationship. No human being. This is what the University of Washington studied 2,000 couples for 20 years. And they said, we now know the two key ingredients for successful relationships. And guess what they were? <laughs> love and respect. 
And the point they made is that many of us have stressing, stressful situations, money problems, in-law problems, child-rearing issues. These are real. But what they discovered is it's our attitude that we bring to the spirit of the other person when we're trying to resolve these stresses and distresses of life. If a husband says to his wife, where'd you spend that $500? You, you have no control, woman. It's his unloving attitude that quenches her. Then he concludes she's not teachable about money management. Well, it has nothing to do with money management. She is shutting down because of that demeanor. Or, you know, they go to the Love and Respect Conference, and that night he says, hey, the grandparents have the kids. Can we be sexually intimate? She screams, is that all you think about? Did you come to this conference just to have sex? You animal. You animal. And he deflates and walks off, and she thinks, you know, if we didn't have the sex problems, we'd have a great relationship. No, no. It's your contempt. And so what the University of Washington discovered is if we don't pay close attention to how we're coming across to the spirit of the other person, they're going to close off to us. And this isn't rocket science. Are we going to keep our spirit open to a person who looks at us with a spirit of hostility and contempt in that worst case scenario? So what we have to realize is that the person in our life is too vulnerable to be treated that way, just as we are too vulnerable. God did not wire us to keep our spirit open to an individual. Now, all of us will give grace to those nasty moments. I'm not talking about that. But if there's this chronic attitude, that look, that harshness, chronically there, you'll, you'll just close that person's spirit off because they're too vulnerable. No human being has been, been designed by God to be treated that way. So what they do is they have to close off. They have to protect their spirit because they, they don't know how to deal with that unless they're just an incredible person who uh, can live beyond that. Most people just find little energy and being positive. You know, it's kind of like I always say, and why do we do it? Well, we're negative toward our spouse to motivate them to be positive. <laughs> and we think they should decode that we really didn't mean it. Does this make sense? We kind of do that with a lot. I mean, we do that with parenting too, don't we? I mean, we, we, we kind of uh, take the harsh edge thinking that's going to somehow bring out the best in our child. And yeah, 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 exactly. For, for our spouses too. So yeah. I want to return to this, um, a piece of this that when you talked about this, the unconditional love, unconditional respect, um, one of the things that I have often had a conversation about is I don't, I don't feel it. What do you want me to do about it? And what I read into that is that these are choices we can make. We can choose to act that way. We can choose to be loving. We can choose to be respectful. Um, and that it's not about the momentary feelings. Can, is that a fair uh, read of, of what you talk about with, this, with both love and respect? Well, absolutely. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have feelings. I mean, we, we, people hurt us. Our, our spouse hurts us. Sarah hurts. Sarah chased me around in the house with my love and respect book once saying, how would you treat a, uh, what would you say to a husband, treat his wife the way you're treating me right now? <laughs> I mean, we all uh, are going to have these moments where we hurt each other. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we have to come to that point where am I married to a basic person of goodwill or did I marry Hitler's distant cousin? You know, I mean, if, if we're going to see them as basically goodwill, then there's some rules of engagement that have to be understood. One is that we're going to get hurt and I'm not always going to feel things. So does that mean that because I don't feel this love or feel this respect that I can be hateful and disrespectful? I mean, that doesn't, that non sequitur, that, that, that doesn't follow. And there's also a challenge that I've extended to myself and Sarah and uh, everybody. Just because I feel something doesn't mean that, you know, that feeling is correct. There are many people today who are taking up offense over issues that are not offensive. You know, I'm reminded of the Pharisees sent a message to Jesus, and Jesus heard these messengers say, did you not know that the Pharisees are offended 
by what you said? Well, Jesus is sinless. So because the Pharisees were offended, does that mean that Jesus is offensive? And one of the things that I have to say to myself, I'm going to feel a lot of things in relationship to Sarah, but a lot of times she's no more intending. When we get on the crazy cycle, here's what I say a lot of times. Sarah's reacting because I said or did something earlier that felt unloving to her. Hmm. And now she's reacting in a negative way to try to get my attention. But her, her mission isn't to be disrespectful. She didn't get up early in the morning to storyboard now if that, and, and ways of showing me disrespect. So the, the deal is I'm feeling disrespected, but the truth is I did or said something earlier that felt unloving. So now am I going to take up offense over this feeling that I have that Sarah's disrespectful when the truth is she's feeling unloved and she's crying out for reassurance that I love her. And it's so important that we decode on the crazy cycle. Otherwise, what's going to happen is without love, defensively, she reacts offensively without respect. And without respect, defensively, he reacts offensively without love. And it would be so easy for me to say, well, I'm just defensively reacting and I'm not intending to offend. But it's also easy for me to take up offense on the heels of someone who's just defensively reacting because I said or did something earlier that stepped on their air hose. Now, I threw a lot of concepts at you. I don't know if I confused you or if that makes sense. But the one point I want to make is just because I feel something doesn't mean that that feeling is valid. And I have to be a mature person and ask myself, hey, did Sarah really intend to diss me here? Or did I kind of trigger this whole thing, but I'm not willing to be honest about that? And vice versa. There are women who say, he's so unloving. Yeah, well, did you say or do something earlier? And women remember things photographically. I mean, yes, I was very disrespectful, but he should know I didn't mean it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They'll say that all the time. So at one point, I want to say to people, just because you're feeling something doesn't mean that that's valid. And you may have contributed to this earlier thing, and you're taking up offense where you ought not to. And then to your point, Lee, there, even if they did get nasty and, you know, they let their hair down and we're having they they had a, they're having a bad day and they're coming at us in a way that's selfish and stubborn, you know, then am I going to justify my hateful, contemptuous reaction because I feel this way and I got to be true to my feelings? Or am I an adult, a mature person who realizes, wait a minute, whoa, whoa. Yes, they've stepped on my air hose, but tit for tat isn't going to go anywhere. And all I'm going to do is feed the crazy cycle. So, People have often asked me, well, who moves first to get us off the crazy cycle? The one who sees himself or herself as the most mature moves first. And so I challenge people, be that mature one. When you're feeling hurt, and it can be a legitimate thing, they are wrong. Tit for tat isn't going to go anywhere. But what happens in the home is that we let down our hair, we become adolescent, and we just keep spinning on the crazy cycle. I've had people say, we've been on the crazy cycle for 30 years. They just keep spinning. And they keep doing this. And it's kind of like they hope that maybe the next time their spouse will awaken <laughs> and, and, and they'll stop. But you can't be negative to motivate them to be positive. And even though my feelings have been hurt and there's a, a rational position to take on that, you can't let yourself become uncorked and expect this to have any influence on the spirit of your spouse. It just won't work. So what we want to do is kind of sketch out that crazy cycle. But the, the interesting thing is you were just talking about that is it is a cycle. You, know, you, you talk about that cycle. And it was always interesting to me as a, as a counselor is someone coming in with their story <laughs> and, you know, they'll tell the story and then the spouse will say, 
yeah, but that's not the beginning of the story, you know, and, exactly. and they back up and they tell me that piece. And the other one says, yeah, but that's not the beginning. Of, you know, they keep backing it up. They're basically backing up the cycle. Uh, my, my guess is they're going to back it right up to childhood if I you know, let it yes, go. Yes, yes, yes. Well, on that fight. point, I always ask the question, who started this? Yeah. The answer is yes. Yep. It just depends on whether you're videotaping a pink or blue. We can all, um, because we did, it's a whole biased research. Whatever we did, we didn't intend to do that they've taken up offense by. Yeah. But what they did toward us, they probably intended to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that, so we have a tendency more. to be favorable toward ourselves. And so we are honest in our recollections. You know, we're not trying to, in some cases, I say to people, people are not mean-spirited. They're just trying to help explain who started this. And I always say, you know, I believe that in many cases you can be absolutely right, but we are very selective. We, and, or we think that they ought not to be offended by what we did because we are sincere, good people, whereas what they did is because they got a rotten disposition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we make that attribution error of who, you know, I, I, yeah. I'll give myself a pass, but I'm going to hold you. Yeah, to, yeah. You know, there's something wrong with you. So can, let's, can we sketch out the, uh, and, and again, I wanted to make that point about the cycle because we're not going to say this is the starting point, but there you have, in order to mm. walk through a cycle, you have to pick a spot. So can we pick a spot and just walk through what that crazy cycle looks like and how it spins? Yeah. Without love, she reacts without respect. Without respect, he reacts without love. So let's just start with the woman who's listening that there are going to be times when your husband is, uh, feels, it feels unloving. The question is, is that really his intent? You know, I mean, if a murderer came into the house and attempted to kill you, would your husband die in his attempt to save your life? And Jesus Christ said, no greater love is a man than this, that he laid on his life for his friend. I mean, maybe your husband doesn't write a Hallmark card, but he's willing to literally die for you. Mm-hmm. In fact, one husband said, I love you so much I would die for you. And the wife said, oh, Harry, you keep saying that, but you never do. You know, know, so I don't know if you're sincere on that, but let's just assume that your husband is loving enough that he'd give his life for you, and yet he doesn't have your sensitivity. So you're going to have to filter, should you take up offense? Should you claim that he's unloving? I'm not denying the fact that he uh, comes across unlovingly and he could be more loving. The question is, does he intend to hurt you? Does he intend to be unloving? And if, if, if you don't at least pause for a moment, give him the benefit of the doubt, you're probably going to negatively react in a way that ends up feeling disrespectful to him. Why? To awaken him to your need to feel reassured that he loves you and say, I'm sorry and seek your forgiveness. There is a, uh, an intent that almost every woman has from her husband. And uh, so you have to then ask yourself, uh, hey, is he a good-willed man? Did he really intend to be unloving? And, and, and you could even go this farther. If, I don't know who started it, but I, I coach, and this is very powerful, but some women are afraid of doing this, just as we're going to point out that men are afraid of doing it. Hey, what you just said and did felt unloving to me. Did I say or do something earlier that felt disrespectful to you? Hmm. If they've learned the crazy cycle after they go into our conference, I say to people, if you're willing to ask that question, watch what happens. There's power in this, but there's also a fear, particularly if there's a history. You might say, you don't have re- one ounce of respect in your soul. Well, you know, I, I, I've dishonored you, and I'm sorry for that. Well, to say that makes you a better man than he is. Mm. And every man watching knows that, and he knows that, even if every man isn't watching. And you've just entered the honor code. And typically within you know, so many hours, there will be a gesture from him. He may not come back and say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? But he'll be 
fixing the faucet under the sink that you've asked him to do for the last couple of weeks, because he knows you have really s- spoken to his heart and that you, you know, and so for you to say that came across as unloving, did I say or do something that dissed you or dishonored you? I mean, I didn't intend to do that. It, first of all, it frees him up to engage you. And, uh, you know, at least you're acknowledging the fact that he has feelings. And this is why the love and respect message is male friendly, because it, it gives a voice and vocabulary to men. It's all about love. Uh, that's, not, that's not how God has revealed his word. Uh, you win a disobedient husband, 1 Peter 3, 7, through respectful behavior, not by loving on him. None of the apostles command any wife to agape love a husband. It's just not there. In the Titus 2 passage, the older women are to encourage the younger women to love their husbands. That's phileo, Philadelphia, friendship, be friendly in the home. And so God has hardwired women to love unconditionally in the area of intimacy. So what happens in a marriage is few men feel unloved. They just feel that you don't like them. He can never be good enough. You don't respect him. And that there's no real concession, the fact that when he reacts the way he does, it's because his air hose was stepped on, that somehow his deepest need wasn't being met. And if you marginalize respect and you make it a narcissism, then narcissistic, then you're going to lose his heart because every man is hardwired to serve and die for honor. And so if you make at least a concession, did I come across in a way that dishonored you? You're speaking his mother tongue. And in most cases, husbands are going to soften and move toward the wife to connect. They're not going to lock up and move away and disconnect. There is so much power here, Lee, but it takes a little while because if the man figures that she just read some book and she's trying another formula, then he's going to be cautious and suspicious. But if she consistently does that, she'll diffuse the crazy cycle. There is so much power here, it's absolutely incredible. And the same thing holds true on the other side with the man, but I'll stop before we continue on the crazy cycle, allow you to uh, push back or ask questions. Yeah, I don't want to push back. I, I do want to embrace, though, that this the cycle part, what I like about that is um, if you just can accept that there is the cycle that goes on, you can also then say, then the question is, who who's going to say, I'll take responsibility, not whose fault. Fault is always back there. Responsibility is what, what do we do going forward? Uh, and, you know, it's, I always I talk about the, um, the problem with the responsibility is, you know, if you're standing in a a house on fire. It's not really the time to look around and say, you know, who calls this? It's a really good time to say, how do we deal with this? How do we get out? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there, at, at some point it becomes irrelevant um, if we can break into the, the cycle. So your point there was for uh, either a man or a woman to be able to say, um, wow, what you did there was for a woman's case felt very unloving or for a man's case felt very disrespectful. Did I do something that was, and it's the count. Unloving, yeah. And we didn't get to the man's part, but that's exactly the second part. Same thing. A guy says, Whoa, I mean, I really felt, I mean, what you just said there felt disrespectful. It's probably my issue. What did I say or do that felt unloving to you? And sometimes the man's going to hear at that point, some women will apologize, but a lot of times women will say, I have no idea what I just said because they don't intend to come across that way. And one of the things I coach women on is the University of Washington said when a woman's upset, her eyes darken, her face turns sour, the hand on the hips, the rolling of the eyes, the sigh, and the head goes back. And when um, she speaks, estrogen kicks in, and the word choice of contempt is incredible. But she's not intending to diss him. She's not trying to emasculate him. Her goal is to connect. 
And in her world as, as women, her best girlfriend or her sister, they will vent and do that toward each other, but they decode. They know where this is going. We're eventually going to say, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry too. Will you forgive me? Yes, I forgive you. Will you forgive me? Then they'll hug and one is witty and she'll say something funny and they'll start laughing again. It's called the ocean of emotion. And women feel very comfortable in that ocean of emotion. And they feel very comfortable in bringing things full circle on that crazy cycle when they get into that kind of uh, uh, situation with uh, another woman. But men shut down halfway through because the University of Washington found that whereas women look like they're out of control emotionally during a conflict, generally speaking, their heartbeats are normal. Whereas they, they monitor the men who look stoic during this time of conflict with their, their wives and their heartbeats were getting to 99 beats per minute. And they needed to calm down physiologically because if you push that too far, that's, that's what happens to us before we throw ourselves on a hand grenade or we, we put ourselves between that murderer and our wife. It's that in, the insulin and adrenaline that, that kicks in. So what we have to do when we're arguing with our best friend and we don't wanna, with our best buddies as boys, we get into a wrestling match and we don't wanna do that. So we have to exit to calm down. But that's precisely the very thing that is most distressing to a female because you, you whoa, 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 whoa. And so she chases him. And this is where husbands and wives need to come up with rules of engagement. But the deeper point here then is uh, coming to that point where we interpret the other person correctly. And the University of Washington said, look, these guys need that time of calming down and uh, not chasing him. So if, if there are moments where you've said something that you didn't intend to be disrespectful and you could justify, but that look and all those gestures were there, this is going to uh, get his heartbeats beating and you're gonna see him withdraw from you typically, or unfortunately there's some men like my dad who move into rage and they're dishonoring, they're, 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 and I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about the good-willed man, he will pull away. And then he's interpreted as unloving rather than the fact that I triggered this whole thing by being so disrespectful in appearance, not in intent. So that's why on the other side saying to him, you know, what you did felt unloving to me, but did I just diss you? And we've already said that. And now on the guy's part, realizing that some of you guys take up offense over this wife who all she's trying to do is connect with you. Mm -hmm. She confronts to connect, but most of us think she confronts to control and she criticizes and complains to change me rather than trying to get through so that we can connect and be good to go and I'd be happy. That's, that's her mission. But no one talks to us the way she does. And so it's very difficult for most men to think that she's just not using this topic as another opportunity to send me a message that she doesn't like me and finds me unacceptable as a human being and I can never be good enough. And so over you know, 15 years of marriage, he becomes convinced that this is just another illustration rather than decoding that, no, she has a need that only you can meet. And she's reacting this way to try to awaken you. Now, does she deliver that message in a way that's inviting? Unfortunately not. We're coaching women on how to do a better job of that. But you need to say, whoa, whoa, time out. That felt very disrespectful. Did I, just, did I say or do something that felt unloving to you? Help me understand this. I don't want you to tell me I've been unloving. I want to justify myself. But uh, what you did was I felt dishonored. If I was mature. If I was perfect, I wouldn't feel that way. But uh, what did I do? And if you're willing to ask that question, you have entered into the woman's world of every woman watching that would say, whoa, she has an obligation to humble herself and to engage that. It's almost axiomatic in every woman that when there's that kind of humility, 
that kind of honesty, that willingness to acknowledge that maybe I did something wrong, she'll be front and center on that. Most women, it's, it's almost impossible. If you, you say in humility to a woman, I am so sorry, I was wrong. Well, I'm sorry too. They, they can't help but engage you almost get to that level. They don't want to be above. Now they might, it depends on the nature of that issue where they want to talk about it. But I think you can understand what I'm saying. Women are not interested in, in, in doing anything other than having that sense of connection with the person they care about. And if they sense this is going to lead that in that, that direction, she's all in. But men have not learned that because the way in which she appears in those initial stages is so offensive. It just, it doesn't feel right. No man talks to him this way unless he's trying to pick a fight. And that's why so many guys said, all she's doing is picking a fight. No. Yeah, if, if there's a man, you really would be, but your wife isn't. She is saying, I have a need that only you can meet. And I'm reacting this way because I expect you to figure that out. Just trying to pull them back in. Trying Correct. to get them back in. So um, you're talking about the heart rate. Uh, remind me, I've got a colleague that has uh, his clients put on a pulsometer on their finger. And when it goes to 110, it sounds an alarm. Wow. He lets it get up to that. You know, he, do, he does because he thinks that in that environment at home, he has them cut it down and kind of figure out what is their, you know, overwhelm. Yes, yes, yes. But um, in the office, he wants to kind of get it to that place. Um, and then they kind of scale it back to find the place when it's gone to fight or flight, because that's the indication. Yes. In yes. Fight or flight mode. And so it goes off and that's an alarm to the other person. Oh, it's break time. Yeah. Even if I stop, I don't stop the engagement. I'm telling you that my pulse is telling you I can't continue. Yes. Um, which is an interesting thing because it's feedback both ways, but it is a, a powerful indicator of what you just talked about that once that happens, nothing good comes from the. It's not, you're flooded. As Dr. Gottman and others say, is you're flooded. It's just, you, you're just, you're not going to be able to. So if we keep uh, yelling at them or doing whatever to try to get through, it's kind of like we've got two daggers in our hands and we're stabbing them in the eyes, screaming, look at me, yeah. look at me. Look at me. It's just not going to happen. And what's that? What is that little apparatus? It's a pulsometer. Pulsometer. Yeah. It's, it's the one that they use is tied into the same thing that will read how much your saturation, blood saturation, oxygen saturation. It has a pulse thing. They don't care whether they have enough oxygen. They're more yes. worried about that. Pulse. Yes. Yes. It's, and and it's, he does that in the office when they're having. So if the couple gets to he doesn't have them do it in the home. At home, too. But oh, they lower the rate. And so they have a basket. He tells me that they haven't put it in a basket. And when they realize that they're having a conversation that might. Interesting. A, yes. a spot, they both put it on and they can sit there at which I'm already you're interrupting the pattern. You know, you're already aware. Yes, yes. Hey, I might already be accelerating. And so there's there's an, a feedback loop you're already creating to break the cycle. Yes. But it's an interesting place for both people to be aware that if uh, if one or the other needs to exit, it's not out of disdain or you know, doing the stonewalling right. is right. I, I am flooded. I've got to yeah. step away and right. calm down. And I would say take, you, you take a break for 15 minutes and then come back and talk for 15 minutes, not 15 hours. But, and I think it's also, that's a great tool because a lot of times we can get uh, emotionally out of control because of our own immaturity as a person. You know, I, I remember a guy coming to me who was 40 years old and he said, I'm a 16-year-old in a 40-man-year-old's body. Mm. And I said, why are you saying that? He said, at 16, I began to drink and I became a functional alcoholic. And I've been a functional alcoholic since 16 to now when I become sober. And I said, so what you're saying is all the socialization process that a 16-year-old needed to go through, you were numb to it all. He said, that's exactly right. 
And so one of the things I challenge people with is if you're losing it, were you out partying while the rest of us were journaling? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so now it's time to catch up. You're, 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 you're exploding. Your, your, your heart rates are going because you, you interpret situations in a way that doesn't fit reality. It doesn't coincide with the facts, but you're so insecure that you're reading into all these situations. Now your heartbeats are going out of control. So we have to give you the grace to begin to deal with that. But let's make sure that we don't say, she's making me. (laughs) No, 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 she's probably not. You're just an accident waiting to happen. And the question is, are we willing to take a hard look at that? Or are we going to continue to rationalize? And as I say, rationalize is defined this way, rational lies. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Make them sound good. <laughs> yes. Yes. So there is a piece of this that is not just about conflict. It's everyday life that the way men show respect can feel unloving to a woman in, in daily life. Um, and the way women show love can feel disrespectful in daily life. Well, that's life. very profound observation. Exactly. We haven't touched on that, but that's why we get confused. But you want to elaborate on what you were asking or saying? Well, I, I wanted to get you to talk a little about it, but because I, I notice, for instance, in my life, uh, my wife will be working on something and, and it's clearly, you know, she's not getting ahead of it. But as a man, I'm not about to step in and say, here, let me do that for you, because that would be disrespectful to another man. At the same time, if I'm struggling with something and she comes to try to help me, I'm often going, hey, I'll figure this out on my own. Um, She's trying to love me and be helpful, but it feels disrespectful. That's just one of those examples that I'm aware of. But it seems to me that that's one of the fuels to the pump, that that can set up the stage uh, for that crazy cycle to really be spinning. That's right. Oh, absolutely. And that's where the University of Washington, in studying these 2,000 couples for 20 years, found that 85% of those who withdraw in Stonewall is the male. Hmm. And why? Well, they saw those 99 heartbeats per minute. But then the question was asked to the women, what do you feel when he stonewalls and withdraws? It feels like an act of hostility. Hmm. That was the descriptor. Act of hostility, lack of love. See, there it is. It's gender specific. But every man would say, I do it because it's the honorable thing. Mm-hmm. trying to calm down so this thing doesn't escalate beyond what you know is healthy, right? So then I always ask the question at conferences, is it an act of hostility or is it an act of honor? It just depends on whether you videotape in pink or blue. Mm-hmm. I say neither are wrong, just different. But here's, here's to your point. Many men are trying to do the honorable thing, only be told that they're unloving. Mm-hmm. He's trying to do the respectful thing, and he's told he's unloving. You see how that, to your point. So what happens is she knows, she knows, and he knows, well, he knows that he's trying to do the respectful thing, and he's stunned that she would say he's the most unloving person. And she wants him to apologize, and he's thinking, why should I apologize for doing the honorable thing? Mm -hmm. This is where this begins to help people understand why men don't always say I'm sorry, because if his motivation is do the honorable thing, he's not going to apologize for trying to deescalate what he perceives to be no big deal. It should be dropped. This is, we don't need to make an issue out of everything. But see, in the world of intimacy, it's pink in its orientation. It's become far more feminine. So the man has to try to align himself. But, you know, the truth is a lot of things that men feel are very healthy. You don't have to always belabor every issue. Sometimes we need to drop it, move on. But that's almost anathema with some individuals. But nonetheless, you've got the same thing on the other side. The University of Washington studied those 2,000 couples, and the vast majority of women in these moments of conflict criticized and complained, criticized and complained, criticized and complained. And the men were asked, what does it feel like? An act of contempt. But I point out in my conference, 
the nurturing nature of women is off the charts. Women care. They love to love. It's within their nature to nurture. So I know technically, objectively, why women are moving toward their husbands to complain because they care. So I asked the question of our audiences, is it an act of care or is it an act of contempt? Mm -hmm. It just depends on whether you're going to videotape in pink or blue. So here she's trying to do the loving thing only to hear him say, you're so disrespectful, I can't stand it. So this is the point you're making that what makes it more difficult in the crazy cycle is that she's trying to do the loving thing, not the disrespectful thing. He's trying to do the honorable, respectful thing, not the unloving thing. But it ends up getting interpreted by the other, and then it keeps triggering itself. And so what I challenge couples with is you have to come to a point where you, you, you step back for a moment and you make a decision. Am I married to a, a person of basic goodwill? 1 Corinthians 7, 33 and 34 says, the husband is concerned about how to please his wife, and the wife is concerned about how to please her husband. And I take the position that in the general overview, he's not trying to displease. He's not trying to be uncaring, nor is she trying to displease. But at these moments, it feels like they don't care or they're trying to displease me. And we do get nasty. I'm not taking the snapshot. I'm talking about the movie here. Overall, is there basic goodwill? Then if there is, then I need to trust that Sarah is not trying to be contemptuous, but that she's trying to be caring. And that she's not trying to say to me, I'm not an honorable man at those moments where she feels unloved. And you have to kind of lock into that. And so, too, the opposite of that whole area, that she comes to a point where, and I forget how I just said that, that I'm an honorable man who's not trying to be hostile and that I'm trusting that she's a caring person, not trying to be contemptuous, even though all of our feelings will tell us just the opposite based on wherever we're most vulnerable. It's very difficult when a woman's feeling unloved to say that that was an act of respect as he goes into the other room. But if that's the fact, then she's going to have to trust that. And it feels very difficult for a man to say she's a loving person who cares deeply. That's why she's confronting and criticizing right now when in my world it's dishonoring. So we're at a crisis. Will I trust my feelings or will I trust the goodwill of my spouse? And every mature couple has to come to a point where they trust the goodwill of their spouse. That doesn't mean they like this moment. It doesn't mean that they respond perfectly. There are ways in which this has to be engaged, but they don't escalate this to the idea that you are a wicked witch. Here's your broom. Yeah, well, you're a complete jerk, and you're in, here's the file and profile on narcissism. We don't go to that level. We stop that because it's, it's completely um, wrong. And uh, that, that's enough on that point. Well, it's a great point. But you, and, and part of what you've talked about multiple times is what you're assuming about the other person's intent. Do you assume the better intent and maybe how you're reading it is feeling off? Or are you reading in a, an ill intent that they are out to hurt you or control you or however that feels? There's a piece of this that um, then rotates around connection and how men and women often do connection differently. You talk about shoulder to shoulder mm -hmm. connection versus face to face. And um, I'm um, amazed on how many times that's come up with couples, you know, that a, a woman will say, you know, I can't get them to talk to me. And a man will say, you know, I'm always having, why can't we just sit here and watch the TV show or, um, and I remember at one point I was working with a couple and, and she said, you know, he always goes out to his garage. So I never get to talk to him. I said, have you thought about just going out to the garage, <laughs> to the garage. <laughs> and uh, and he, after a couple of evenings of that 
he came back in and said, you know, we've had more time connecting than we've ever had in our marriage. And she was just shocked because they talked very little in the garage. But so can you talk a little bit about the differences in those two styles, the shoulder to shoulder versus face to face? Yes. And this again, again, the, the pink orientation to the culture of intimacy that the culture says the quality relationship is based on that verbal communication and connection. And uh, Deborah Tannen talks about women give the report to build rapport. And so you have this female perspective, and all of it's valid. It's the way God has hardwired women. God made, but Jesus said, have you not read, he who made the friend in the beginning made them male and female. That we're not female, female here. There's a male here, and the question is, how do we interpret that maleness? And if we filter everything through the pink grid, then the quality of the relationship will not be substantive because he's not connecting face-to-face and talking about feelings to the extent that she wants. So then the question is, well, does a woman just have to give up on that? Absolutely not. Deborah Tannen did a fascinating piece of research. She had two 20-year-old women who were best of friends, two 16-year-old girls who were best of friends, two 12-year-old girls who were best of friends, and two 6-year-old girls who were best of friends. In the same way, two 20-year-old men, two 16-year-old boys, two 12-year-old boys, and two 6-year-old boys. And they wanted to see what these best of friends would do. They had a room with two chairs in it, and they asked the dyad, two 20-year-old women, just to go into this room. And they'd be back in a few minutes. And they were videotaping them. They, what they wanted to see was what they would do with those chairs and whether or not how they, how they interacted with each other. Lee, all the women, including the six-year-old girls, either turned the chairs toward each other face-to-face and started talking or sat. The chairs were faced out, but they turned in the chairs toward each other and leaned over the armrest and talked face-to-face. Then they wanted to see what the, the males would do. And the six-year-olds were the only, they never sat in the chair. They were running all around, the six-year-old boys, so they never sat. But they wanted to see what the 20-year-olds, 16-year-old boys, and, and they sat shoulder to shoulder in the chair, didn't turn toward each other. And uh, they just sat there and, and looked at the wall kind of a thing. But then they wanted, they brought in the linguist, they wanted to figure out who had the most intimate of conversation of the men and women. And they were absolutely convinced that the women, by and large, would have the most, no, it was the two 16-year-old boys. Hmm. And the point that I make to women is men will be transparent and they will talk about everything they're feeling and thinking, but they will never do it if they're going to be shamed or lectured or mothered. Men will talk with other men who honor them, who engage them respectfully, who empathize with that, but don't, you know, cross over. Pat Riley had me come speak to the Miami Heat and he and I spent several hours prior to that talking about how if men feel that it's unjust and dishonoring, you're going to have mutiny. Men are not going to respond to something that doesn't feel fair and feels dishonoring. But if it feels fair and it feels honoring, they'll engage it. But if they feel that they're being disrespected, if they're they're looked down on, if they're being, you know, shamed in some ways, it's not going to work. So the idea here is not that men are not going to talk with their wives, but there is a format that needs to be understood and respected. And There's two things in that garage episode that you said. One, shoulder to shoulder, he's energized by her mere presence without talking. And that makes absolute no sense to a female. But it makes no sense to us that we've got to have this daily conversation about all the little reports that somehow this is going to result in us feeling connected. So, but the favor has been given toward the female. And all I have to say is we've got to defend our sons, ladies. If you've got boys out there, he's going to be different. We're not trying to put down your daughters. We're trying to help understand our boys. 
But so out in that garage, her mere presence energizes him, and she needs to trust that, that he feels as positive about the relationship as a result of her mere presence without talking as she feels by that good heart-to-heart communication. There are two in this relationship, not one. And she has to weigh whether or not you want to energize him because the very spirit that, of energy that goes into him, he softens, and he's going to serve her, and, and just it, his whole response and demeanor is going to be different to her if she gives him that gift. But secondly, if you're out in that garage long enough, he's, and he doesn't feel you're going to shame him, lecture him, you're his friend, he's going to start talking to you. And some guys don't shut up. But many women say, my husband doesn't talk to me. Now, he, he's afraid of you. He's not afraid of your physical strength. He's afraid of your tongue. Well, I don't intend to do that. I know you don't intend to. And so what you have to do, though, you've come across in a way through the years that probably has misrepresented yourself. So one of the things you can do is seek his forgiveness. Not saying you were unloving. Do not apologize for being unloving. He sees that as a trick. Instead, say, I've, I have learned in recent days that I've really disrespected you. It never was my intent, but boy, can I see how I dishonored you. I would hope that you could uh, forgive me for that and, and help me better understand how not to say things in such a way that disses you. Because at the end of the day, I'm really trying to connect with you for love. But I think I deliver that in a way that sounds so disrespectful. And can you find in your heart to forgive me? I say to women, you use that language and watch what happens. Mm-hmm. There'll yeah. be men who tear up. And I've had the same conversation with mothers trying to figure out how to get their sons to share with them. And uh, my um, reflection of them is put them in a car with you. It's shoulder Bingo. to shoulder. Bingo. You're not looking in the eyes and it's a lot easier to do those pieces, those interaction patterns that we just think are because it's our interaction pattern. That's the right way or the correct best way uh, can trip us up in everyday life and, and trigger these the crazy cycle. So the crazy cycle, just to return to that uh, here, the crazy cycle is um, that and whoever starts it, uh, one feels unloved and therefore acts in a way that feels disrespectful to the to the husband and the husband feels disrespected and therefore acts unloving uh, to the wife that's the crazy cycle but there is a better cycle mm-hmm. so let's close with that better cycle right and i talk about it in my love and respect book there are actually three cycles the second one you refer to as the energizing cycle that it isn't just enough to try not to do the negative there's got to be a proactive thing and based on Ephesians 5.33, I believe this, that a husband's love motivates her respect and her respect motivates his love. Um, it, it's very difficult. You've got to be married to one bad dude or dudess <laughs> for her not to respond to love for who she is and him not to respond to respect for who he is. We're not talking about respecting bad behavior. We're talking about a demeanor toward his spirit. You can't have contempt in your spirit toward his spirit. You're going to lose him. You've got to see him the way that God sees him. Um, but when you do that, it energizes the person, and it just works. It just influences. People want to come under that influence. But we've coached a lot on the love side, but we haven't coached on the respect side, and that's where we've given a lot of attention to this. And this is why 49% of those who initiate coming to our conferences are men. Nowhere in the Bible does it reveal that men are indifferent to marriage. But men are not going to respond to certain frameworks that don't reflect what I think is sound research as well as what the Scripture teaches. But beyond the uh, energizing cycle, I have what we call the rewarded cycle. And some of your listeners may be in a situation where there's been some real painful stuff, betrayal, adultery. How do you move forward? There we talk to the Christ follower about ultimately everything you do matters to God, even if your spouse doesn't respond. And we say, his love unto Christ, regardless of her respect, her respect unto Christ, regardless of his love. And that we 
have taken the position and didn't know how this would play in Peoria, so to speak, but this spiritual component that ultimately I'm going to be a loving person, whether it influences or not. I'm going to be a respectful person, whether it influences my spouse or not, because standing beyond the shoulder of my spouse is Christ, and I'm going to do it unto Christ. I'm going to be this kind of person unto Christ, and my spouse affords me the opportunity to do this. Um, it may or may not touch my spouse's spirit, but this is who I make a decision to be regardless. And in the long run, I've just found, Lee, that this ends up being a tremendous influence. Uh, it, it, unless that person's on the way out, they've already got an affair going, they're going to divorce you and remarry, and they're gone. Um, I will tell you, almost everybody that I've worked with over the years pauses. If a man begins to treat his wife this way, she senses that this is who he is and that he's not trying to get something from her. Every woman I know pauses. She'll even talk to her best friend. He's been acting this way. And they'll all try to figure it out. And they'll pause. And so, too, when a woman starts putting on this, this respect thing, I mean, it's, it is so powerful. In fact, I spoke to 300 NFL football players and their spouses. And, and uh, afterwards, the leader of this thing wrote me and said one of the great football players had an illness. And he thought he was going to maybe have a terminal. And they were under medical supervision, and the results of the test hadn't come. And it was during this time where he's wondering if he's going to live or die that his wife had taken this course on respect and being friendly and, and uh, putting on respect, right, and just positive And just, you know, she was just upbeat with him. And this went on for several days, three or four days, and he was blown away by it. So he sits her down and he says, okay, give it to me straight. The doctors called you and told you that I'm dying. True story, Lee. He thought he was dying because she was nice. Being nice. <laughs> <laughs> but the point I make is that, ladies, this really does get the guy's attention. It, it, it just, it's so powerful and it's so simple. And, but here you're going to have to ask is, am I going to lose something if I'm loving and respectful under Christ, regardless of my spouse's response? Am I going to be the worst for the wear? And what if they take advantage of it? What if they don't appreciate it? So what's the alternative? Continue to show contempt and hate? Um, you're bigger than that, as I say to people. And at the end of the day, this is about who you are and who you are in front of your children. Don't, don't miss this opportunity. As much as your own needs are not being met in the marriage, I get that. You know, you have a moment to demonstrate the quality of person that you are. And uh, I, I'm, I'm envious for you to be able to do that. You know, this is, um, it's easy to get locked in and say, okay, then men are all about respect, not about love. Women are all about love, not about respect. And mm -hmm. your analogy was, it's like love, like water and food that correct for women, the love is water. You got to have that a lot faster than the food, the respect, but that doesn't mean the respect is irrelevant. It's just that you can go longer without it. And so there is this uh, place where being loving and respectful goes for both people. Well, one of the ways I say it that clarifies it, the best way to love a husband is to meet that need. He has to feel respected for who he is apart from his performance, mm. that you see him the way God sees him. See, men begin to think that you really have an attitude toward his deepest heart, and we're so vulnerable to that. And the best way to respect the woman is by meeting her deepest need to feel loved for who she is. She'll feel respected when you love her that way. He'll feel loved when you respect him that way. And we've barely touched the surface. We barely scratched the surface. If this has made sense, if if uh, somebody is listening to you, Emerson, and goes, "Yeah, I think I might fall in that category," what would be a starting point? Um, uh, you're you're 
uh, website is loveandrespect.com. Would that be a good place to get started along with yeah. the book? Yeah, and I, a couple of years ago, I wrote a 15-day plan that's free. We've had about 40,000 people sign up. You can only find it and uh, join it on our website, loveandrespect.com, all spelled out, L-O-V-E-A-N-D-R-E-S-P-E-C-T.com. <laughs> and there will be a irritating pop-up, but it's the 15-day plan. And that is a, almost kind of a jumpstart your marriage. But uh, that would be what I'd recommend. And my son and I have 100, my son's a clinical psychologist. We've done 125 a podcast. We've got about 3 million downloads on those. Those are also available. Uh, and then on the website, there are other resources that they can look at. The mother-son book I wrote called The Respect Effect. You referenced mothers. I, I had all these emails from moms writing me that they began to apply the respect idea to their boy and the connection that came blew them out of the water. Hmm. So every woman consider the mother-son, the respect effect, and uh, very excited about that book as well. So this is a simple concept that doesn't make it easy, uh, and it's very deep. Uh, it just is an elegant, simple idea. So if this has made sense, please, uh, love and respect is at loveandrespect.com is a great place to, to start the process or continue the process for you. Emerson, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Lee. listening to Save the Marriage podcast. For more information and help, please visit us at savethemarriage.com.